The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, put some XAML in the blender and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 280, featuring the WPF panel at DevReach in Bulgaria. Recorded live Monday, October 8, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now, bringing world-class expert-led training in C-Sharp, ASP.NET, VB.NET, SharePoint, BizTalk, Team System, and Workflow Foundation on-site to your development team. Details online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. <coughs> the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man with a flaming shashlik, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here. Richard Campbell in Vancouver. Hey, Richard. Hey, sir. How are you? Another day, another show. I'm not complaining. Nope, and I'm sure our listeners aren't either. Oh, good. Let's not mince words, man. Let's just get right into Better Know Framework. Teach me something cool, Carl. All right. <laughs> Starting with how to make loops. <laughs> <laughs> The right way. That's a different show. Yeah, that's a different show. Uh, today I'm going to talk about system.convert, which oh. converts a base data type to another base data type. And what's neat about convert is there, you know, there's your standard, you know, everything in Visual Basic that you have the C thing for. Right. Like uh, C int, C stir, all that kind C of stuff. C date, all of those. Exactly. So those are the, the framework equivalents of those, two Boolean, two byte, two char, two date time, two decimal. But the coolest thing is where you have two base 64 string, which converts the value of any array of 8-bit unsigned integers to its equivalent string representation encoded with base 64 digits. So what's really cool about this is if you have like a, a big byte array that you've got you know, some key that you've used for encryption or whatever. Right. And you want to, you, you want a string version that's base 64. In other words, all the printable characters. 
Um, then you use two base 64 string. Did you know that the view state is encoded as base 64? I did know that. Yeah. So the view state in ASP.NET, if you take a look at it, um, you see it usually ends with an equals, but that's really not a good test. Um, <laughs> there, yeah, there are better ways to check, but that's yeah. the reality of view state and probably more or less how they're doing it. Yep. And also from base 64 string, I use those all the time. It's a great way to get a string representation of some binary data. Uh, if I'm going to, if I'm going to encrypt some data and write it to disk, instead of writing it just as bytes where you can't pull it up in notepad and look at it or anything, then I'm going to use that. Also is DB null is there. That returns an indication whether the specified object is of type DB null. Right. System.convert. There you go. Richard, what you got for us? Well, oh, we this warned is the them email. earlier in the week about this email. <laughs> oh, this is so funny. We were at, we were at dinner in Bulgaria somewhere, yes. and I just pulled up my phone, and you know we were having a drink or recce or something, and we're just waiting for dinner to come. We're all so I pulled it up, and here's this, and we passed it around and had a good laugh. So I figured it might as well make the air because, well, it's special. It is special. And the subject line is my favorite place to listen to .NET rocks. Yeah. Hey, Carl and Richard. Thanks for the many years of educational material you've been providing me. Initially, I listened to the shows on my dev machine while working. Sometimes, however, I would end up just sitting there listening, forgetting to work. So to avoid that distraction, I picked up an MP3 player and mostly listened while running, doing chores around the house, or driving to and fro. That being said, I think I've come up with the most interesting or most unusual place to listen to one of your shows. Unusual, My wife definitely. and I decided that three beautiful and healthy kids was enough. I've been putting off getting a vasectomy for a while, but I still find my wife attractive, <laughs> and after a few close calls, the time had come to get it done. Oh, boy. So, during the operation, to keep from freaking out, I listened to show 235 on ASP.NET Ajax while getting fixed. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Darned if I can recall much of it, though, after the Valium and Oxyconin. <laughs> but, hey, I'll never forget that you two and your guests kept me company through the slight pain and discomfort. Oh! I wonder if anyone else can say they've listened to the show with their legs propped up and a urologist with sharp tools doing his thing down there. Oh! Thanks for the memories, Brian Badeau. Brian, thank you for the memories. It brought back memories of my vasectomy. Ugh, I didn't want to talk about it. I'm <laughs> horrified. Richard, are you snipped? I am. <laughs> well, Thanks. Did, did you have a similar experience? I wasn't listening to a damn thing except the guy <laughs> chatting away while he was poking. Did he say oops? Never said oops even once. <laughs> Little oriental guy. He moved fast. That has to be the most interesting, for sure, place uh -huh. that anyone's ever I don't want to start a competition on this. <laughs> Nothing good would come of a competition about where did you listen to .NET Rocks. Well, but if the deed is done, yeah, send us an but, email. Why not? Oh, man. Come on, that's good stuff. <laughs> you, you can't make this up. No, you can't. <laughs> I would not have thought of this. <sighs> All right. Well, the standard announcements are uh, the conferences that we're doing, Dev uh, Dev Teach. Yes, Dev Teach Montreal. coming up last week in November. Yep, we got Dev Connections. And that's the uh, first week of November, so we're yep. doing it backwards. So that's Las Vegas, the first week of November, and Vancouver, my hometown, Last week of November. Right. And of course, TechEd Barcelona, you're going to be at the IT half of that. And, right. The uh, week after Las Vegas, 
Greg and I are going there. We're going to do speaker idle, 64-bit question, the whole nine yards. We're going to have a blast. If you're going to IT Forum, come say hi. And hey, participate in the contest, too. We're giving away Tom Bim brain bags. Every week. And two 24-inch LCD monitors. Yeah, but you got to go to .netrocks.com slash Barcelona to play along. And we want more people to sign up. Not enough people are playing. So go and check yeah. it out. Try it. Got to play some the- stuff. Wins carry the same stuff. bag that we carry. That's right. Yeah. Your odds are good right now. That's what I'm saying. Right. So go for it. All you got to do is listen. And, of course, uh, uh, Greg Brill, genius guy down there in New York City with a bunch of great developers, uh, always hiring, of course. He's all, also hiring in Boston and in London. Just a great company to work for. If I was still a professional developer shopping around, I'd want to work for this guy. You bet. Um, great. You know, he, I said this before, he, uh, he does this experimental theater or what is it? Uh, improvisational theater. He makes people, and, and I I saw a picture of Nick Landry, like, you know, doing improv comedy. (laughs) Now, you know, I thought the vasectomy thing was bad. Now I'm scarred. (laughs) Oh, no, just kidding, Nick. (laughs) So anyway, if you're interested in, uh, doing the New York tour for a year, you know, what are you waiting for? Go to shrinks.com slash KH six and read all about it. Well, Richard, we really ought to introduce this show because this was a live panel on WPF that we recorded in Bulgaria at DevReach. And uh, I guess that's all there is to say about it. Let's just roll the tape. Yeah, you bet. Hey, Bulgaria! Welcome to .NET Rocks! Hey, it's good to be here. Richard Campbell and I, we're here uh, in Sofia, Bulgaria for the second year in a row. Yep. Uh, Telerik has brought us out this time around. Yes. And uh, this panel is all about WIPIFA. That's uh, Windows Presentation Foundation. WIPIFA. That's what I'm... <laughs> what? And we have three of our uh, three esteemed panelists here who are at the very end of the table, Mr. Tim Huckabee. Thank you very little. <laughs> yes, he is very little. And next to him is Brian Noyes. I'm feeling a little nervous about the seating arrangement here. <laughs> <laughs> and on his right is Todd Anglin. Hi, Todd. Hello. I promise I won't bite. <laughs> All right, very good. So now um, Richard wanted to get this. Richard, you put this WPF panel together. I did. Because you have some strategic questions about WPF, but I have some technical questions. Wow. You wrote him down. I did my homework, which is, you know, Richard will tell you, this is more than I do for the real show. <laughs> so, but but let's just start with the big stuff. And I think you should probably ask the first question of our panelists, Richard. Well, I mean, I, I guess we should sort of set the fundamentals. So WPF is shipped, right? Absolutely. And how long ago was that? November of last year. November 30th. And can anybody tell? Well, and it, and before we started the show, uh, one of the uh, attendees came up and showed a little WPF app that had our faces on it. Right. So obviously, stuff is possible, but uh, how is it going? Is, is WPF really being adopted at any significant rate? I'd say adoption is definitely slow, and that's mainly because the tools were immature. And uh, when it shipped in November, it was basically bits and class libraries and not actually... Uh, shipping tools, 
we finally got shipping tools in May with expressions, but that is not for developers per se. But hasn't Microsoft gone away? I mean, I remember that was the original story with it, with 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 Blend. It's Blend, right? Yes. It was the original story with Blend was it wasn't going to be an MSD and Universal, and now it is an MSD and Universal. Correct. So in theory, it is a developer's tool now. Well, except it's design, it's targeting a different audience. It's targeting professional designers. It looks like a drawing tool. It feels like a drawing. So tool. it's going to be harder for developers to grok. In other yes. words, now I happen to know <laughs> that we have a designer on the panel. I, I hide it often, given my my field. Uh, before before moving to programming, I, I didn't touch programming at all until really the beginning of university when being in college. I hated programming. And though I'm in a room of programmers, I wasn't especially fond of programmers. I thought I was on the art side, graphic design side, and was destined to go into graphic arts. So I grew up on Adobe Illustrator, Adobe Photoshop, all the graphic design tools, and that was my area of expertise. And I continue to obviously uh, do a lot of that. And my initial impression, WFF, I was telling Richard this, is that, uh, especially on the design end, is these tools are still tools designed to make making applications look good easier for developers. These tools are still foreign for designers. The second you introduce the concept of properties to design, you lose the designers. I mean, designers, and I was mentioning this to Richard, think in the terms of art, you know, of uh, space, white space, negative space, shape, proportion. Those terms don't come up when you read a book on WPF expression. They blend is uh, properties and uh, the gradient uh, angle property box, you know, all this sort of Too stuff. Too much math. It's foreign to uh, designers. Designers just to, just lay it out. Blend wants you to use properties and, to, and set objects, which is not native. <clears throat> but I, I think one of the you know one of the key aspects of WPF is that to really take advantage of it, you need someone that knows those that stuff you just talked about, which I couldn't even repeat back. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, need, you need someone with an artistic bone in their body to actually make it look pretty. You absolutely you know, do. And most I, developers can't do that. And I, I, I guess the contention here is then developers aren't about to leave their tools that they've been built, building graphics on for years to pick up Expression Blend, just as much as if we went to uh, .NET developers and said, hey, Adobe just built this code editor, forget Visual Studio, now you can work better with the, with the designers. You know, so am I hearing you right? Thing. Am I hearing you right? Is the target market, the, the, the size of the market for uh, WPF developers then the two Flash guys that know .NET? <laughs> is um, that what we're basically talking about? No, I think it's more just that you know you can use WPF as a new Windows Forms, and you can create standard data apps with text boxes and grids. Well, grids you'll have to step out of WPF because there's not a data grid there. Right, so if you're a developer, you can still do everything in Visual Studio. You just don't get the slickiness of Yeah, exactly. To really take advantage of WPF, you need to start taking advantage of styles and animations and and uh, you know some of the more, more graphical elements, which you know it, it's kind of like when TrueType fonts came in. You know, developers can use that stuff, but God help you looking at what they come up with. It's just not going to be pretty. Yeah, you need someone who can actually discern what would be appealing to a user, as opposed to oh look, it's got pretty colors. You know? Yeah. The Todd seems to indicate that uh, we're not quite there yet, even for a designer's tool. That yeah. we're still got this. Middle of the in the middle of the pack kind of. Uh, I should make it clear tip. the tool is good and it's it's in the right direction, but it's for developers still. So, uh, <laughs> whoops. That's gonna sound. I'm good. just gonna hold the microphone. See, try try that again, Todd. The tool's good. Uh, yeah, the tools are great and they're moving the right direction. I I want to make sure that I'm clear that I think WPF is a huge step ahead of current Windows Forms. I mean, the ideas, oh, yeah. and the concepts of what they brought together in WPF are great. Just the sort of premise that the tool is just, you know, easy sell to designers, I think is still a little overstated. It's still a great tool for developers to pick up 
and do better at making things look better. It's just not going to be the designers using the tool, in my opinion, yet. But now, what has been the developer response from WPF? I mean, blend aside, what I can tell you what my reaction is. It's like, holy, there's shit. no way I'm going to learn all this <laughs> stuff <laughs> to make some Windows apps when I can just pull do some Ajax on ASP.NET and right. Am I right? Is this the reaction we have? Uh, there you go. <laughs> well, I defer to these guys, but I mean, what drove the adoption of Windows Forms? I mean, isn't enterprise development of a lot of these things what really would drive the adoption of these tools? And uh, won't we have to see more Vista rollouts in, in large enterprises to really see this? Pick up? Windows Forms was the only interface option we had for Windows at the time. Sure. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't like to tie it to Vista because, you know, there's really nothing in WPF that inherently needs Vista. Everything you can do in WPF, well, there's one thing. If you do 3D, you get anti-aliasing in Vista. Right. Um, and you can do the... As long the, as you install the, the 3.0 uh, add-on for XP. Right, right. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying on Vista you natively get that. Right, but I mean, you can do everything yes. in, in X, XP via that 3.0. Right. right, so, and the other thing is, Carl, you mentioned ASP.NET Ajax. I don't think it's good to make the parallel there because that's a web technology and WPF is primarily a smart client technology. It right, gets, but, but in terms of the big bucket of user interface options that we have today when deciding what we're going to write our apps with, we can, you know, we, ha we still have the option of doing a web application in, oh, many situations, in many situations. Well, and actually I find in a lot of customers that there's an inherent bias even for internal apps to right. using web apps. Because they're so damn easy to develop now. And deploy is yeah, really deploy the, is the that's, thing. That's the key thing. So, you know, ClickOnce helps that to a certain degree, although people have had mixed uh, success using ClickOnce, and ClickOnce definitely applies to, to uh, WPF as well. So part of it is breaking down the mentality that I have to go with a web app to have easy deployment, hmm. and that's going to take a while to kind of permeate corporate uh, development. And the other is showing them the features of WPF, and it's really, I, I usually say that, it's consumer-facing apps and ISV apps that it really matters to. Places where there's competition, and it's the one where the person making the buy looks and goes, ooh, pretty. You know, if, right. they, if they need that reaction to choose your product, then WPF will let you get there much easier. Does, does anybody on the panel or in the room know of a commercially available WPF application? Of course. There's okay. many of them. Tell us, Mr. Huckabee. Uh, Windows Media Player. Or, um, um, no, Media Center. The, the Vista version of Media Center. There's the new well, one, the right? the XP and above. What's that? The XP and above. Because the XP edition I've got is not WPF. When you say commercially available, though, do you mean free or only pay? Because there's the British Library. Well, I wasn't necessarily talking about pay or free, but... There's a the British Library. Well, I suppose there's the New York Zurich Times Wimbley. reader, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah a lot of those reader apps out there. Zurich Airport application. Okay. The, the really cool the AutoCAD cool. reader well, thing. Out, All right. So the the answer is there are. How about Zine? Zine. That's Zine? right. From yeah, Code that's Magazine. It's Code Magazine. Yeah. Biggest obstacle is the tools and Orcus because and the New York so Times promotes. All right. Wait a minute. Let's. Well, am I allowed to weigh in? Please, please, Tim. Brian and Todd just going to no. dominate this whole thing. Go ahead, Tim. What do you got to say? Are Chad and I allowed to talk? Because if we are, I'll stop reading about David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't want to deprive you of your uh, minutes there. So here's, here's what I think. And we talked about this in the session. I, I think as .NET developers, we are spoiled. We are spoiled because it's so darn easy to build applications. And it just so happens that the tools are way beyond. 
That doesn't mean WPF is weak. It, uh, it does mean that adoption is going to be slow. But Orcus doesn't help us a lot. I know I'm going to get yelled at for this. <laughs> but it's the plain and simple truth that there's not a lot of controls in Orcus. Uh, there's not a lot of controls in Blend. And uh, there's no way in hell that blend or, or no uh, expression design is going to take over adobe illustrator that's ridiculous to consider okay now we have expression blend we have expression design and we have expression web right and, and design the media okay media i'm sorry i, I missed that memo <laughs> <laughs> and design is the straight ahead designer 2D for vector graphics designer. design tool no it's not the xaml designer it's not the xaml designer no. it's the vector graphic designer all right uh chad if you're going to talk get a microphone well, we seem to be out of them, so... Yes, we didn't know you were actually coming. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, just... <laughs> <laughs> Richard, Richard, hand Chad yeah. the microphone there. I did that with my mind. Chad Howard, tell yeah. me the difference between expression, blend, and design, and... Okay, the, the four expression products. Yeah. Well, one of the problems is that Microsoft likes to rename stuff a lot, so it got really confusing during the beta till final release. But the final release name scheme is expression blend, uh, although it's not called Blender. A lot of people come to me and say, tell me about Blender. At first I went, what the heck is Blender? Then I figured it out. Expression blend is the XAML design tool, and it allows them limited access to code. If they have Visual Studio, it can integrate with Visual Studio. This is why I hate these. Hold your mic down okay. a little bit there. So, down. down. down there, there we go. Is that better? Lobster, down, <laughs> down. So if they have Visual Studio, it has some integration to go back and forth with code. But the idea is to give designers a design, well, not a design perfect view, but it is a more designer view. And developers do not feel comfortable in Blend. And the other thing I'll say about Blend is that I think they did a pretty good job on it, but you better have a big screen with Blend. 1024, because the windows, you can't, they have a minimum size. 1024 doesn't cut it. And you better have a widescreen. If you've got a big widescreen, Blend works really well. It also works really good with a tablet, but there's very few tablets that are really big screens. We've got yeah. a problem. Now, you have Expression Design, which is for 2D vector graphics. And it can export to, of course, the pixel formats, JPEG, Ping, etc. And it's designed to be more of kind of, I don't know if they call it a professional or entry-level tool, but it's not going to compete with Adobe Illustrator, that's for sure. But it's designed that if you don't want to leave the suite and you want to do some basic things, you can be able to do them from within there. And there's Expression Web, which is essentially replaces front page and essentially has nothing to do with the other ones other than it has the expression name. And then there's Expression Media. So there's no XAML to Expression Web? No. Blend. The only product that has XAML in it at all is Expression Blend. So if you're only doing XAML, you only need Blend. The other ones are just share the XAML. Same wait, hang expression on Design hey, doesn't have, and expression design design does have one XAML. It does have some XAML export. Well, Blend, that's you right. can't yeah. even create objects, right? Blend is just, no. you, can, uh, you can change properties. <clears> and you can creation is done in a different uh, expression product altogether, design, right? But then right. one of the problems with design, design can't load a XAML file. It can only export to a XAML file. Uh, right. But, okay, so who's in my session? Who wants to tell Chad why design has a purpose in life? You were there. <laughs> <laughs> remember what I did with remember what I did with expression design? I took an Ob Adobe Illustrator file, opened it, and exported to XAML. That yeah. in itself is why you need design. That that's a couldn't I have a command line export tool that would do that? Why do I need design? <laughs> you Actually, could, there's but you that don't. Do it. Yeah. What's no, that? At least none that I know of. Right. There's a website that does it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not true either. Well, as far as Microsoft Isn't products, that the it's the only one that does it. But there's a bunch of 
you know, format to format converters out there that convert right. from right. every known vector or 3D type to XAML. True. Or back. True. But however, that, the, well, do we get, I don't know, do we get design in MSDN? Apparently you get yes. the whole suite. Okay. So then it has a purpose in life. It absolutely Okay. Is. But it'd be I nice to have a command line version. Because it's so frustrating, even from a developer, to open Blend thinking, here's where I can create my WPF, and I can't create. I can only modify what exists. I can modify properties. I can't just drag a box, start drawing, or, or I can do simple shapes. I should correct myself. But I can't do complex. You can create user controls. I agree with you. Things in that sense. Uh, I agree with you. But you can I create user controls, though. For all this bad, there is good. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. But you it's can create user controls. The, uh, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. <laughs> but you know what? There is a lot of good in this. Well, well, it, well and definitely I, down at the framework level, you know, that's where I would say what came out in November, even though it's intimidating because it's all new, it's, you know, a very robust you know, the, the capabilities in WPF are amazing. Once you get down in it, start using things and see how easy it is to do complex stuff. But first off, you're doing complex stuff. You're doing it with a whole new stack. So, yes, it's going to be intimidating. But pulling off certain things like animation styling, you know, the, the vector graphics based stuff, doing that in WPF compared to trying to do it in Windows Forms is just night and day. Earlier in the conference today, Tim, in fact, showed some incredible demos of exactly what WPF is there to solve. I mean, I... I think you know, we are ganging up on uh, expression blend and some of these negatives, but I, I think we should just reemphasize WPF is the future and it's doing some amazing things and applications and demos like you showed today are, are proof of that. It's just a matter of uh, you know, how fast and, and, and who first. Well, can Absolutely. I ask this question? I think we all agree on that. Can it's I ask this question? Is everyone happy, maybe not with the level of tools, but the architecture, like the way that the tools are uh, compartmentalized, if you will, are they on the right path, or did they make a mistake? Go ahead. Lose your, ruin your career. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I nominate Brian Noyce to answer that question. Any I'm not seconds? sure I understand the Todd, question. seconds? <laughs> Let me rephrase. Okay. I'm not afraid of controversy. Let me rephrase the question. Chad's just waiting to answer this one. Here's a meatball for you, Chad. He doesn't care about his career. So... Are you are you satisfied with the silos that they put uh, all of the f the things that you can do with WPF into in terms of the expression suite, in terms of Visual Studio, in terms of their plans for moving them forward? Do you think they made the right decisions? In other words, is Blend someday going to be the right tool mm, for developers for or designers? Well, I'm a developer, so I think we're all developers here. So Does, uh, Blend is squarely targeted at design. I think at, that at least according to Microsoft. Yeah. But it's, it, it is an interesting perspective from someone with a design background to say it's not even close to what is natural. Yeah, and Microsoft actually realizes they realize that there needs to be some retraining around it. Their idea is that designers will never go into Visual Studio. Okay, it's not designers going to will never go into training session. Okay, hold it. Then, uh, I have, then I have a clarification question. Okay. The question is then if Blend isn't the developer tool and if Design isn't the developer tool, Visual Studio is clearly where it is. What or has to happen be. in Visual Studio in order to make this actually work? For, for developers? Controls for developers? Two mm -hmm. words, data binding. Data binding. <laughs> Three words, controls. I'm slightly biased, but. Yeah. Three words, Tim? Controls. Yeah, controls. Third too. word, controls. Third, third word yes. is controls. I mean, that my thought while we were having this discussion was shouldn't WPF just replace WinForms? Shouldn't eventually, it? yes. Well, I don't want eventually. I want now. Well, I, <laughs> in in reality, yeah. it has. WinForms is over. So, that, I mean, it, that that ended a year ago. So you're telling yeah, me I mean, that in Orcus, in before, 2008, though. 
No more wind forms. All the stuff that I'm used to building in wind forms, there's WPF equivalents. I'm just rework WPF. Absolutely so not. Well, that's not true. Because that's a pushing leading question. Yes. And you can still build wind forms. Maybe, two, maybe Visual Studio 2011. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, until you have parity of what you can do in the Windows Forms Designer and have the same productivity level for 80% of the requirements out there, which you don't have in 2008, you know, standard data on form stuff, it's going to take you longer in WPF than it does with Windows Forms. So make so, Brian say that again, because he just summed up the whole thing, and we're done, and we, we can, can go, go home. get drink beer right now. <laughs> <laughs> he just summed it up right there. So say that again. Well, yeah, well, one more time, Brian, close up the whole know, story 80 here. 80% of the apps out there, especially internal corporate apps, you're just putting data on forms. Right. And to get that done in Windows Forms, because of all the drag-and-drop data binding features and some of the controls and everything else that's there, you know, you can bang that stuff out really quick. With WPF, it's a lot of editing XAML, getting third-party data grids, hooking things up. There's a rich infrastructure there, but the tools are not there. They will not be there in 2008. I should be remiss, coming from a component vendor uh, standpoint as well, if I didn't inter introduce the, at least the uh, concept of components being developed, you know, outside of my Absolutely. Now, clearly, they don't, they don't separate the value of what comes out of the box right inside Visual Studio. And, and that's why I don't focus on the controls so much. I agree it's it's a drag that there's not as man, many controls there as we want, but I know that the third-party market will fill that void much quicker than Microsoft can, so I'm not as concerned about that aspect. And you can always write your own custom control, but no one wants to do that for something common like a data grid. That was a heck of an eye roll, Tim. <laughs> Did I roll my eyes? Oh, yeah. I, I had a flash of your teenage daughter there just for a moment. So I'm sitting in a conference room in Redmond, Washington last week, and people are screaming at each other about this very topic. About, about WPF controls. Yes. And uh, ultimately, Mort needs controls. Yes. Does everybody understand? the? Hey, do you know what the Mort equivalent is for a designer? Have you heard this? No. Francois. <laughs> well, I didn't make that up. I, you know, I'm probably going to get in trouble for that because yes. we're not supposed to talk about Mort or Francois. <laughs> However, Francois Francois won't use expression design, right? And Mort needs controls, right? I, in my opinion, but it, and I guess none of us can actually speak for Microsoft here. But do you think that the Microsoft mindset is let the third party market fill out the control solution? I think that's what they're thinking. I think they're counting on Telerik and, and some, of, some of Telerik's never, uh, worthy competitors. But they've never had that attitude before. Maybe it's just that their developers, their own developers can't grok it fast enough. Oh, I don't know about nah, that. Look, at, look at Windows Forms and Visual Studio 2002 versus 2005. Just look at the designer alone and the features that are there. And, you know, we're really at the 2002 point with the Windows Presentation Foundation designer. It's V1 of the designer. In other words, and, it's... And likewise it's, with the controls. I mean, I went to a, a design review a few years ago in Redmond where they were just first showing to, to the vendors. It was a bunch of control vendors were a lot of the audience. And they were showing all the stuff they were coming out with in 2.0. And it was kind of funny because every time they'd, like, show this control, this collective groan would go up in the room as all the control vendors were like, oh, crap. Now, you know, here's a list of our products that are now obsolete because it's in the framework. How do we provide added value? And they yeah, all scramble to find new uh, features. I, okay, but I've been in the component vendor space before, and I know that if they want to do something, they don't give a rat's ass if you're going to be, you know, go out of business. Oh, I know. that It, it wasn't stopping Microsoft, right. but it, it was, I'm pointing out that at that point, moving into 2.0, there was still a big gap between what the control vendors had already provided for a couple of years now and what was now finally coming in V3 of the framework. So the long, the, the short answer is 
that they'll get there. It's just new, and they need to make sure that they do things the right way. Um, I have a whole bunch of technical questions about the fundamentals of, of WPF. Are, are you guys interested in hearing some of the answers to those questions? Here, Clap. We can answer them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me start with UI virtualization. What is UI virtualization? No idea. No idea. <laughs> we're going to cut that out. question right out. Okay. Are we talking, are we talking about data acquisition for Microsoft? For no, no, this is a tech. Yeah. Look, look at this. Okay. An audience member is going to answer the question. Yeah, but that's the guy, that the, the, cool, the, the guy that built the cool. The guy that built the cool WPF. Yeah. Yeah. The one guy in the room who's using WPF. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's your name, real quick? Okay, my name is Stefan Dobrev. Stefan, uh, yeah. just tell us real quick what is UI virtualization? Because we obviously are clueless. Okay, I will give a quick example. Imagine a list box with. Uh, 200 items in it, you don't want to visualize or to store uh, 200 re uh, objects in it. You want to store only, let's say, 10 visible. And for example, when you start scrolling down to the list box, you will just create objects only for the visible items in the list box. So there's a delegate procedure that asks for the next, okay. Yes. This is your virtualization. Oh, very good. Okay. Stefan, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That is the answer I was looking for, and that is not uh, that's not necessarily a new idea. We've had virtual list box for for quite a while. Miguel Castro, is, is that can that be compared to just a standard lazy loading technique, or are you yes. talking about just having in memory the ten that are visible, basically dumping out the ones that are going out of scope? Because in, in true lazy loading, you don't dump out the ones that went out of scope; you just load the ones that are coming in as you need them. How does that relate to what it, you just described? About the visual aspect of the yeah. So there are still some questions to yet to be answered, apparently. Well, let me just jump in and say, sure. so now that I understand what the term means, <laughs> uh, this has existed, data grid view in Windows Forms does this as a right. virtual mode, and, and it, if WPF is the same, which I'm not sure, it's all about the visual objects. Obviously, you still have to have the data objects to, to present, and you've got to get them into process somehow, right. but it's about creating those... UI objects because there's a lot of extra context that goes right. with the UI that's heavyweight. It's not really like a web application where the sort of the data gets bound into the, the presentation layer. Uh, okay, what is an animation? What is animation? That's well, gratuitous or gratuitous <laughs> or non-gratuitous? Just answer the that question. Was <laughs> that, was, that was a joke. Come on. <laughs> Throw me a freaking bone here. <laughs> He's going to go Google now. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I did on UI virtualization. <laughs> that's live search down here. Yeah, if you were using live search, you would have had the answer in time, my friend. <laughs> I think the question should be, what is good animation versus bad animation in the WPF context? Well, what does the term animation mean in WPF technically? Well, technically in WPF, it really just means setting properties repeatedly on some kind of timeline. A timeline. Specifically, dependency a storyboard. Property. It's okay. a storyboard, right? And so you are animating things by setting properties, maybe location properties or color properties or transparency properties to change the appearance of that based on a timeline. So when I think of timeline programming, I naturally think of Flash because that's the only product I've ever used that has that sort of thing. Is it the same idea? I mean, the time goes by, and at a certain point, this property gets set to that. Actually, video processing does the same thing. 
Yeah, and um, they have different forms of it. So they've got timeline-based ones, and they've got keyframe-based animations right. as well. So you can basically just define static frames and then sequence between them. All right, here's a doozy. Can you deploy a WPF app to a browser? Yes. Technically, yes. Technically, you mean but it's smoke and mirrors. Browser. Yeah, not to a browser. It's smoke and mirrors yeah. to do. Well, so okay. Via a browser. Via a browser. Okay. Accurate. Pardon yeah. my. Isn't that click once? Not Yes, behind the scenes it is. So okay. what you have is what's called a WPF browser app, or it was called XAML browser app in the 2005 extension. XBAP. All it is, it's an XBAP file, XBAP. X what does that mean? XBAP. It stood for XAML browser application, but all it really is is a different file extension for a, a click-once deployment manifest. Interesting. So what you do is you address a XBAP file, and what happens behind the scenes is it click once deploys the WPF app to the client's machine and loads it into the browser. But in a temporary cache, so when you leave, the application isn't like permanently installed as something that'd be permanently installed on your machine permanently. It's in a, a temporary cache that can be cleared. So right. it's a, sort of a confusing distinction I found with WPF. You can deploy it by click once and it's installed, or you can deploy it to a temporary location where it disappears after, after you're done. So it's done. more like the old hrefx yeah. kind of yeah. stuff. Except that it doesn't work. really do, disappear when it's done. It can, well, it, it can it be can purged. Be. Yeah, it can but be. There are a couple, yeah. two important things added to that, though, is from the user standpoint, it runs in the browser, and they can use the back and forward buttons in the browser, and the application has knowledge. I'm not saying it should, but they're used to this. It acts more like a web page yeah, than a normal application would. And then there's experience. also Silverlight coming, which is a subset right. of XAML. Which right. is easier. Has yeah, a different and, and model, another and that's key not a click once. Another key distinction there is that when you load an XBAP, it takes over the entire client area of the browser. Whereas Silverlight, you could have a portion of a page that's dynamic and animated and all that kind of stuff. So the natural follow-up question is, would anyone ever want to do that? that that's what I was going to say. So help me out here. There Why are scenarios would you wrap a WPF application in a browser for You're just anything other than porn? <laughs> <laughs> That's the killer. That's, that's the killer XBAP application that Microsoft is waiting on. Because once you go into a browser, there's a whole list of don't do this is right? right. Yes, there's a limited security so, context. So what's a practical application of this? I mean, you still need the entire .NET framework to run the damn thing. Excuse me, the darn thing. <laughs> if you want, if what you I've want seen my is that the, the deployment's easier than the traditional click once. It's all about deployment. That's all it is. You know, but, but I've, it is I've had click this, once behind the scenes. I know, so but it, it works better than the standalone click once. I've had this this thought the though. The experience, you mean? For years, we've been telling users, don't install things when the browser asks you to install them on your computer. Yet yeah. now, we're trying to tell them, you know, on second thought, when we prompt you to install this, just go ahead and say it's yeah. okay. You know, so we've done all this education for years now to say, stop doing it. And now we're about to say, it's okay again. We well, fixed that. Well, well, and by the way, you don't have the .NET well. 3.0 framework installed, so here comes no. 80 megs down, <laughs> yeah. down your AOL account. The, the XBAP is more targeted at intranet and extranet applications right. where you know who your users are. But, right. okay. but as far as security, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between unmanaged code and managed code. And all right, that's all right. well, I difference. apologize for asking that question. I'll just withdraw <laughs> that. Now. Hey, this is Carl. I just want to take a minute out of the show to tell you about Telerik Q2 2000 Tools Update, which can be summed up this way. Blazing fast performance for ASP.NET. WPF-like visual effects for Windows Forms, and codeless reporting. The AJAX-based content editor is now 76% faster and much more intuitive. The grid also received a performance boost, plus PDF export, frozen columns, and they've even added a new awesome scheduling component. What I find even more intriguing is Telerik's Windows Forms suite. 
It's unbelievable that it offers WPF-like visual effects like scaling, rotation, object motion, transparencies, and so on without WPF. As a result, you could have grids, tree views, ribbons, and more with a previously impossible level of interactivity and appeal. Telerik has recently added cab support, which makes the component set a perfect fit for large enterprise applications. Lastly, with Telerik reporting, you can create advanced business reports in Windows, Web, or PDF format using pretty much design time only. Wizards, expression builders, and converters help you with the design, styling, and integration. You'll also be amazed to see some unique features, like CSS-like styling and conditional formatting. See what all the fuss is about. Download a trial at Telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for sponsoring .NET Rocks. What is loose XAML? Loose XAML is basically, you can take a XAML file and put elements in it. And those elements can just be static, declarative, you know, text boxes and so on. There's a lot of things you can put in XAML, like triggers and animations can be defined in XAML. So if all you have is XAML with no code behind and no inline code blocks in the XAML, which is also legal like an ASPX page, but it has to be compiled. Uh, so if you have no code behind, no code in line, but all you have is markup, you can just load it into a browser, provided you have .NET 3.0 on the machine and Internet Explorer at this time. Okay, cut and dry question. Now, I've heard the term compiled XAML before, and it makes me shiver Bamble. and shudder. It's BAML. Compiled XAML is BAML, which is YAML. <laughs> Anybody got a camel? Because I need to. Camel is the SharePoint market. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'm confused. Explain. Compiled, well, first of all, uh, compiled XML just seems like a contradiction in terms to me. What, what's the benefit? Why? Well, what they do is they actually looked into turning it all into IL uh, initially, and they found that. If they turn it into this BAML stuff, which is just binary representation of the XML markup, so more compact form, makes your assembly smaller, um, then they have some opportunities to do more dynamic stuff with it. Okay, they do actually yank some stuff out of the XAML and turn it into code at comp compilation time. So you'll end up with this magic. If you step through, for example, and you step into the initialized component method, you'll suddenly be dropped in this code file that doesn't belong to your project called .g.cs. And what they do is they yank some constructs, specifically event handlers, out of the XAML, turn them into code, and then compile that as IL. But the things that are just static elements and property setters and stuff, they can put that, they can leave that in its current form, but turn it into a binary representation of that. It's totally and then it's, it's almost like a runtime partial class merging at that point. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Noyes, <laughs> give it up. Give it up. I gotta hand it to you, man. That was that was amazing. Uh, you're the guy to answer this one too, which is about binding, because um, I know you're Mr. Binding guy. Can you explain binding versus template binding, or just I'll try. give us, or just give us maybe the overview of binding, the binding experience? Okay. Well, uh, data binding in in WPF is based on this class called binding. It gets put into your XAML uh, in a loosely coupled way, where you can just say, at this point in my XAML, in this text box. I want to bind the text property to a company name. I don't have to know what objects it's coming from. I don't have to know the type of that object. I just have to say, if there's an object out there kind of ambient uh, and it has a property company name, then I want to grab that value and stick it here. And that's how you do data binding, and I'll cover that in, in detail in my session tomorrow. 
Template binding is a special form of binding is a simple answer, and it only applies to control templates, which are another complex construct that WPF introduces where you can replace the visual representation of a control without deriving from it. So you can just take something like a button and say, I don't want my buttons to be rectangular with round corners. I want them to be a 3D spinning cube that dances when you click on it. We're, and you can do that with a control template. We're really talking about the difference between styles and templates here, which is kind of elusive to me. Yeah, styles and templates look and feel <laughs> a lot alike, uh, but styles are just, they're similar to what, what we said about animations, just set properties on a timeline. Styles just set properties in kind of a global fashion. They just allow you to say, I'm going to say I want to set a font color, a font size, a, you know, this, this, and this. Instead of doing that repeatedly in many places, you do it once and then you apply it once. Sounds like an ASP.NET style, like so, a cascading style. Yes, it's, it's very much modeled after CSS. It is not CSS, but it has right. very similar capabilities. That's a style. A control template is a similar thing, but more at a, I want to take over the entire visual rendering of this control, not just uh -huh. specifically set properties on it. And a template binding ties into that to say, if I'm going to do that, I may want to suck through from the control I'm overriding or ta taking its visual appearance. I may want to pull through something like its border color or its font. And I don't want to have to redeclare that statically in my control template. So I can just pull it through with a template binding and say, grab the border from the control I'm going to take over rendering from and use it as my border. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, now you can understand why I'm still hesitant to get into <laughs> It's all easy. Whip of, uh... That's going to confuse a lot of web developers, too, because in the, in the context of styles, there's a relation between your world and the web world. In the context of templates, from the, what you just described, web control templates are totally different than what you're calling templates in WPF. What you're calling templates sounds more like adaptive rendering. That's, that's, yes, it is. So that, that whole nomenclature thing is going to really throw a lot of people out of, I mean, hell, just hearing your description kind of threw me a left curve there. But you're an ASP.NET developer. You should expect to be thrown a left curve <laughs> from WPF. It's par for the course. That could handle more complexity. Right, that's right. Actually, yeah. I like to, you know, tell people the best world to come from to do WPF is a little bit of both backgrounds, ASP.NET and because there are a lot of things, like especially living in the markup world of XAML, right, right. if you're used to doing markup you know, modifications point. in ASP.NET, it feels very comfortable working with XAML. But if you're a pure Windows Forms developer, it's pure hell, because it's just like, what's all these damn angle practices yeah, about? Great point. But yeah. isn't XAML going to disappear under the, uh, under the covers like we HTTP sure hope so. has? Yeah. We sure <laughs> hope so. But we yeah. said that about HTML. Though. Yeah, it never, yeah. and well, HTML's yeah. never gone away. Right. Yeah. Well, same thing with ASP.NET is, you know, no matter how good the designer gets, a lot of people still prefer to just drop down to the XAML. I mean, there are certain things that right now the designer even supports, but it's, you know, six, seven clicks in the designer or, you know, six or seven keystrokes, which I can do a lot faster. Let's not even talk about XML, which, you know, the, there are people who actually give themselves names. You know, their last name is XML. <laughs> I'm not going to say who, but... Uh, do we have something better than send keys to simulate user input in WPF? Yes, and I can't think what the name of it is. There's an accessibility layer that lets you do that kind of thing um, and basically simulate the user experience. Programmatically? Yes, it is. but I forget the exact... Yeah. That's a bit of a non sequitur for me, Carl. Why are you asking that question? Why do you care about send keys? Uh, it's on my list, man. That's, uh, <laughs> do you mean WPF specific or anything else? Yeah, yeah, specifically. Well, WPF. there's something besides what's in WPF that is where Microsoft is pushing a lot of stuff. That's called the Tech Services Framework. Unfortunately, it's all COM based, and it's very difficult to get at from managed code. 
But the text services framework is what they use for speech recognition, what they use for the tablet API, all those sorts of things. And that's technically the proper way to get at it, and that's what Microsoft will tell you. Well, there is, very a, difficult there is a, what I'm getting at is there is a WPF set of classes for simulating text input and mouse input that's much easier than send keys. Which, anybody been in send keys hell before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. With a Windows application, you actually set focus to the app and then send the keystrokes to it. And, and, and the key part is pray that no one changes focus while that's you're doing right. that. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about basic Windows dialog boxes? Are they accessible in WPF? File open, print, all that? Yes. There's a... Uh, through the, the key namespace to look in is window, or Microsoft Win Windows 32, I think it's called. That's how you can get the things like open file dialogs and stuff like that. And if it's something that's custom, there's a great interop layer there with four lines of code. You can basically take a Windows Forms control, plug it into WPF or vice versa. Um, gestures. What's a gesture? You want me to take it? The gesture, well, maybe specifically with WPF is a little bit different, but specifically with the pens or the mouse, it's detecting certain mouse movements, and a lot of times they use the neural networks to do it. So. I'm talking about WPF. Oh, WPF? Okay. Well, This is a WPF panel, yeah. Chad. Yeah, it's tied yeah, it's in with, with the, the stuff, campus. and that's where I was, was headed with the pen and so forth. It detects certain movements to be interpreted as certain actions. So if I take the pen and I want to draw something to the right, it differentiates what I'm drawing versus what I want to perform an action, such as cut. And they have, for instance, and this is available in the WPF, you can program in gestures to recognize them. But when you have a tablet PC, you can add certain gestures, and if you just flick it in a certain direction, one means delete, one means copy, one means back, and you can program these gestures to be application-specific from within the ink within WPF as well. And as regarding the pens, they've really done pen programming before WPF was quite difficult. A lot of people just forgot the pen and they treated it like a mouse with a couple extensions. WPF has specific ink properties, including gestures and other things for handling the pen separately from the mouse. Anybody have anything to add to that? Huckabee, you Googling it? I'm reading about David Hasselhoff. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's reading about David Hasselhoff gestures. Anybody else in the audience have anything to add about gestures? No. Okay. Uh, routed commands and routed events. What's that all about? So Another one of the reasons WPF is intimidating. It's like every <laughs> every construct that you thought you had nailed in .NET, they put some new semantics on it. So a property is not just a property anymore. We have dependency properties, which have like 20 different things that they do in WPF Arena. An event is not just an event. It's a routed event. And routed events specifically, this is another place where they stole from the web world. So Miguel should feel comfortable with uh, you know some of these terms. They have bubbling events and tunneling events. Bubbling event says, if you click on a button, for example, a button in WPF is not just a button. It's just a container for other elements. So a button could contain a 3D spinning cube, a video playing, and you know some other junk in there. Not that that's a good idea, but it could. <laughs> so when you click in a button, it, that mouse click is not necessarily hitting the button itself. It could be a ch child element. Sure. So there has to be some way for the button to know it was clicked. It happens through these bubbling events. So the, basically at the lowest level element that intercepts an event doesn't want to handle it or doesn't know what to do with it, it just lets it automatically bubble. And then someone upstream in the element hierarchy, so the child button or the window itself can handle that event and do whatever is appropriate. And then tunneling just goes in the other direction. As that mouse click comes into the button, has to pass down through the window, down through the grid, down through every ch uh, parent element, 
and any one of those has an opportunity to intercept that event, handle it, and not let it flow downhill. Okay. So how does that apply to routed commands? Is that is it? Oh, what, I'm sorry. You said routed commands. What's a non-routed command in a non in a routed event? Okay, routed events and routed commands are somewhat related, but easiest way to understand routed commands is if you have an MSC background, the Microsoft Foundation classes. Uh, the idea with routed commands is that a lot of times you've got a file, uh, new menu, you've got a file, new toolbar, you've got a file, new, new keystroke, and you don't want to have to go manually hook up each one of those to the same handler. So you just come up with a named command, file new, and you can just identify it anywhere in your app that you want it to trigger that command, and you don't have to go explicitly have access to the object that has the method that's going to handle it. So it that seems thing. like they're doing a lot of work to make some of these re repetitive things uh, easier to deal with because you're going to be doing them a lot because there's a lot more objects now than they used to. So they sort of some of these aggregation tools. Exactly. Can I add something to that yes. one? Do we have any Delphi, former Delphi guys in the audience? Okay, routed commands that are action lists. XAML is XML DFMs. Film at 11. <laughs> um, you answered my next question, Brian, which is how are events handled? Are they, are they, do we still have the concept of a delegate or is that? Yeah, this is different? all still delegate based. So, I mean, even like I mentioned dependency properties, they still you have wrapper properties. So they all build on the basic constructs of .NET mm. and, and routed events are delegate based but they add these extra semantics of bubbling and tunneling on top of that. And they also support a direct mode where they won't bubble or tunnel. Attached properties. A special form of dependency <laughs> properties. Anyone else want to jump in here? Come on. You got, you're doing a great yeah, job. I'm <laughs> doing a great job. Isn't he doing a great job, ladies and gentlemen? This is his fourth session, I think. <laughs> Tim's just glad to have more time to Google Hasselhoff. Um, okay, what was the question? Uh, attached, attached properties. Attached properties. What is? Um, easiest way to explain them is it's just syntactic sugar. It's a special form of dependency property that lets you, in your XAML, do something like, say, on the button element as you're defining it, say, I belong in grid cell 01. Okay. And you do that by setting properties that in the XAML look like grid.row equals grid.column equals, but it's not that those properties exist on the button. It appears as if they do or they're attached to the button. Sort of parameterized. But what it's really doing is actually calling static methods on the class that defines it. Okay. So just another way to say attributes that we can right. link together. Um, decorators and adorners. How's that for some fun <laughs> names? Decorators uh, and adorners. I think I've met a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are in the custom control space. You want to jump down? No, I'm not in the custom control development space. Oh. <laughs> um, it's, it's just some fancy constructs for when you're doing custom controls for saying what the visual appearance of that custom control is going to do. It's kind of a simple answer. Okay. Uh, boy, I'm running out of uh, questions here. How does layout work? Very complex. Um, there's lots of layout controls are part of the built-in controls of WPF. You've got a grid, which is not a data grid. It's just a tabular layout control, similar to HTML tables or the table layout panel in Windows Forms. You've got a stack panel, which stacks things horizontally or vertically. Think of a toolbar. Uh, you've got a flow, flow layout panel. I forget the exact name. That will flow like an HTML page. So all of those kind of come together, and they can all be you know children of children of children. 
And when it goes to render a UI, it goes through a layout process and it just kind of walks the hierarchy and says, you lay out your, your children, you lay out yours. And so it positions and sizes children. Some of them, like a grid by default, if you just put a bit button in a grid cell, it'll not only position it in that cell, but it'll also fill the cell. So it can affect both size and positioning. And it's just up to a container control to say, where should my children lie and how big should they be? Do we still have things like docking and anchoring? Absolutely, yeah. There's a dock panel as well. And anchoring as well? Yes. Yeah, so uh, those... yeah it's called uh, vertical alignment and horizontal alignment. But... I know the naming on that, that layout control, uh, it's going to get a, I know when I first opened up uh, Visual Studio and WPF, I was like, oh, a grid. Everybody's been saying there isn't yeah, one. Yeah. Well, there's no, no data here. And well, and to be clear, there's also there's a list view, which you can simulate a read-only grid with. So you can actually do a fairly decent tabular rendering of data in a list view. It's, it's more work than it should be. Um, but, and it's also read-only. I kind of have this comical fantasy that I open up every single control and I look at the XAML and it's just a container with a comment that <laughs> <laughs> says what to do with a big to-do list, right? Here's what you got to do. Um, Brian, I know you've spent a lot of time and some of you guys, uh, all you guys on the panel have spent time building uh, stuff in WPF. If you could pick out one thing that you want to uh, tell, one nugget of wisdom that you want to tell everybody who's starting out not to do something that you did or some assumption that you made that took you down a rabbit hole that uh, you went, well, that was dumb and you wasted some time, you know, um, what would it be? What's the single most biggest startup productivity can, can tip you can think of? Don't start with Orcus. Really? Really, I would take an opposite tack. I was actually, what was bouncing in my head is don't waste your time on 2005. Oh, okay, so he's saying start with Orcus, and you're saying don't start with I, Orcus. Yeah, I, I would say start with a book. Start reading. Oh, oh okay. Oh, really? Uh, because, like for me, I, want, I jump right in on Orcus Beta 1, hoping to drag a button on a form. Like we've been doing for 15 right. years? It's the way we learn, right? And double-clicking that button and having it stub out an event handler. And nothing happened. And nothing happened. Now, in Orcus fixed Beta, in beta too, too. it does it. Yes. So you have an event handler, but that's about it. Um, yeah. I flailed. It's I was one bones. of those people who said, holy shit, this is hard. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, you, I go from that to the cancer app. Right. And, and the cancer app is, I mean, pre-Orcus, heck, it's even pre-2005. You guys hand-coded that thing pretty well, much. Well, yeah, Kevin and Shimon's most certainly. But there's, there's 10 gazillion lines of code in there doing trigonometry and calculus and, and 3D and all that stuff. And it's overwhelming. So ultimately, I got that book, the, the one that's in color. Well, uh, Nathan, Adam Nathan's book. Only, yeah, Adam Nathan. Uh, WPF that's how I learned. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and now I'm reading it a second time. And uh, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that this genius here uh, has probably got the Petzold book. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of books out there. That, um, and are you recommending the same thing, Brian? You well, actually, start reading. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. And with you that reading person. Petzold or not? No, actually, if I had to pick a starter book today. Uh, Chris Sell's book just got updated and came out in the second edition. Right. Hmm. So that just came out a couple weeks ago, and it does a more ground zero, hello world type of approach to things. Adam Nathan's book, Unle uh, WPF Unleashed, is awesome, but he dives in deep pretty quick. 
Um, so, so almost not a starter book? Yeah. So I would say a, a pure starter book would be Chris Sell's book. Uh, then Adam Nathan's in conjunction with Essential WPF from Chris Anderson, who's the architect. That gives you, those two go nice hand in hand because Adam Nathan's does a great job of kind of covering the surface of WPF and all the stuff you need to know there. And Chris Anderson's book covers the behind the scenes, you know, how's it put together? Why do we do it this way kind of thing? Right. And then as a last source, once you're already up to speed and just need to look stuff up and go, how do you do that funky style thing again? Then Petzold's book is good, but you don't read Petzold's book cover to cover. Oh, okay. It's at a, least it's, in my perspective. It's reference material. It's reference material. Right. Yes, application equals code plus markup, and it's structured exactly that way. First 50% of the book, which is about two inches, is pure code. Second half is pure markup, and you never develop that way either. It's a <laughs> mixture of both. For so. me, it's like reading the Old Testament in Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> it is an excellent reference book, though. We'd, uh, no? Oh, Todd. Well, I mean, I, obviously I should say just wait for Telerx controls and uh, it'll be easy. <laughs> uh, but if I'm staying uh, to the panel, uh, you know, these guys make great points. Definitely read. You know, I did the same thing, jumped in, and uh, it is confusing. Uh, you know, like we said a, a few times here, there's a message. It's not quite like WinForms. It's not quite like ASP.NET. So there is a middle ground, and it's definitely best to start with reading. But uh, a nugget of wisdom, don't try to convince your uh, designers that uh, blend is, or expression is better than their design products. <laughs> Uh, just, just don't try it. Don't waste your time. I mean, it's a good tool. It'll be better, but just don't waste your time with that. Um, but definitely read Chris Anderson's book. I would, I was going to plug and that. And, one. and yeah. to clarify, you're not saying don't waste your time with Blend at all. No, don't you're waste saying, your time on your designers. Yeah, your, your designers aren't going to believe you. Yeah, and you're, and you may not realize you're lying to them, but you are. Yeah, let them use the design tools they're used to, you and can it, use it and have a good time with it. Right. But yeah. I think there's still this interesting point here that we finally are sitting on a tool or a resource capable of rendering quite sophisticated UIs, and we need designers, and we're gonna have to, we're, but we're still gonna have to work with them the way they want to work. Sure, exactly. And, and we don't have all of the tools we need to make that easy. And there for is them. actually an exporter from Illustrator, not to plug the competition product there, but Illustrator can export to XAML. I was just too, gonna so. say, do we have oh, a flash man. to Wipifa converter? Is that <laughs> make everything all right. Those are there too. Yeah. Um, what do I have left here? Uh, did I ask you what triggers are? No, you didn't. Oh, what are triggers? Fancy that's events. The, that's the native okay, fish. Fish. Events. A trigger is the native fish of Hawaii. <laughs> it's a horse, isn't it? It's basically just a way of putting event handling in in markup. So okay. But there's there's multiple kinds of triggers. There's property triggers, event triggers, data so triggers. So it's a way that you can handle events in XAML declaratively. Yeah. So you can do something like if you have a dependency that you say when you know when something happens to this control over here, they set the background property to blue on this. Okay. I want this one to be blue as well. So, so it's so really really you're talking about only things that you can do in markup in those event handlers. Right. Yeah, it's a, way of, uh, it's a way of doing event handling without having code behind is the way I think about it. Well, and, and the way you described it sounds an awful lot the same as a data trigger, that when data changes here, do these other things. Right. Or triggers in ASP.NET Ajax, a similar yeah, concept. Yeah, same kind of concept. One thing fires the next. Yeah. Well, we'd like to take some questions from the audience. Anybody feeling brave? Anyone? Got a question? We'll, we'd like to pass you the microphone. Something we didn't cover? I'll go out into the audience here. This is always fun. Let's see. Uh, should I pick on people? I, oh, Miguel Castro's got a question. The only North American guy in the audience, ladies and gentlemen. And he also happens to be on the other side of the room, making my fat ass walk all the way over here. Thank you very much, Miguel. How are you? I'm good, fat ass. How are you? Hey, how are you? <laughs> 
Now, my, my question is regarding uh, when you asked the question about layout and you described the different grids and the flows, I messed around a little and I, and I, I do like being more of an ASP.NET developer than a WinForms guy. I do feel a little more at home than a lot of WinForms guys. But right now in the, in the web development world in general, especially from the CSS zealots, as I'd like to call them, there's this kind of anti-table war that's that's coming into the surface more and more and more and i'm not a i'm not 100 sold on the, on on that i'm still a big believer in right tool for the right job and i use tables for quite a lot of things but do you see that happening in the wpf world or is there something coming out like right now the wpf world is starting in what web was at the orig originally with everything po was positioned based on tables now a lot of people are going more of the drop down list uh, li view, ULLI, and then just attaching a CSS sheet to it in order to position things how you want. Is there going to be something that's a counterpart to that in the WPF world that you know of? I left my omni omniscience helmet at home. Sorry, I can't answer that. I, I haven't heard any hints of it, no. I mean, they basically took, you know, the, the parts of things that CSS could do that have to do with the visual appearance of things and, and provided that, but no, I haven't heard any rumblings of using it for. See, that's how CSS started on the web world, right, and right. now it's moved into the positioning world as well. But to get away from the term, just at the layer of what it does, I mean, WPF inherently is all about uh, isolating the rendering, the look of an object from what it actually is, which right. is kind of what CSS does in HTML in a way, is gives you a lot of control over something without actually changing uh, its properties. So WPF, almost at its core, is a little bit more flexible than HTML and what CSS has to do to sort of change the look. So. It may not be completely analogous to drop something like CSS on, but who knows? We'll see. At least I got to pick on CSS all the on the air. <laughs> uh, I noticed there's another celebrity in the audience, gentlemen, Dino Esposito. Dino, do you have any thoughts on the subject? I don't like WPF or WPF. <laughs> I, I, I don't like it. Okay, why not? <laughs> Do, do, do you need therapy? <laughs> maybe maybe therapy would be helpful. <laughs> so what what don't you like about it? What if what if what what brought you to that conclusion? Uh, I mean, uh, I'm worried. I'm a web developer, a web guy, and I'm worried to see that uh, something that has relationship to whoop is coming to the web through Silverlight. So I'm con Oh, so you don't like the tech. It's not that you don't like technology. You're just afraid for your job. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, then. For my books. <laughs> for your books. <laughs> okay. Anybody else got a question? Anyone? About anything at all? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? 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 How about you, sir? Oh, I, I can always ask questions. So I can ask you about the comparison between. Silverlight and Flash. Excellent question. What's the difference between Silverlight and Flash? <laughs> Flash has Nobody a five-year start. Longer than that. Longer than that. Flash doesn't stream high-def video, does I'll, it? I'll take this one because I've been doing a lot with... Before it was Silverlight, it was WPFE, and I've been playing with it since it was even internal to Microsoft. I've been doing a lot of presentations on it. There's a lot of differences from the functionality standpoint. If you were to compare them feature by feature, you'd find a lot of them are equivalent. There are some differences. For instance, flash video is better at low bandwidth video, but Silverlight is better at high definition video. But when it comes down to it, not too many people are going to choose one technology over the other. For me, the big difference is the tools. Most of us are here in developers, and I've had to look at flash many, many times. And every time I've had to pull back because I've looked at the tools and go, oh my gosh, I just don't want to go there. With Silverlight, 
if you're using C Sharp or VB, you can stick with it. You can use C Sharp on the back end. You can use C Sharp in the database using SQL CLR. You can use it in WinForms. You can use ASP.NET. And you can use it in Silverlight when 1.1 comes out. So it's a matter of reusing the same code, not having to say, oh, for this part, we have to learn ActionScript. And by the way, we have to go over to Eclipse. And we have to use Visual Studio for everything else. Silverlight lets you stay in one place. It's also a subset of XAML. So as you use WPF, you can reuse a lot of your WPF content there as See, well. But I, I always love that mm -hmm. statement because I hear the Microsoft guys use that too. You know, they say, Silverlight, you can harness your existing WPF skills. <laughs> and then you go, oh, yeah, how many of you have those? Yeah. Or you can harness all your .NET code, but how much of .NET is in Silverlight? I mean, or you can harness your existing warrant. Flash skills, which for most Visual Studio developers is less. Zero. <laughs> so the other thing is since it, it's XAML-based with Flash, they do have a new sort of XML type, but it gets compiled in, and how the packages are deployed and delivered are significantly different than Flash. Yeah. There's also performance characteristics. Now, in Flash, in the latest version of their VM, their performance is a lot better than it was, but at least in the tests I've done, and there's some professional tests done out there, there's some websites you can test, the Silverlight 1.1 betas are still smoking most of the tests in Flash from a performance standpoint. It's a lot better as well. But the biggest difference by far is the development process. Do you want to have to say we're going to do 90% of our work in Visual Studio in C Sharp or VB or whatever? And then this little bit we're going to have to go over and learn Action Script and a different tool and so forth, or do you want to do everything in one place, one technology? Exactly. Again, have fun convincing your designers to leave Flash. I mean, this, these, True. Are, these are tools in, ingrained in their process. But I think that's, that's the real message of leveraging your skills. It's not necessarily that you have those skills today, but that as you acquire those skills, now they apply to both web development and uh, smart client development. You can do more. You can't make your other people do Right, more. yeah. It doesn't affect well, the designer. If, if we want to go into this, this designer issue, one thing well, I've well, seen a lot. No, I, I don't want to fight, but one thing I want to say is that as Orcus and the next builds come out, I think that people are going to take, when you get the controls, they'll build all their WinForm stuff in WPF. And even if they don't do anything more than they did before, it'll be there so that a designer can become in. And yes, you might have to force them into the tool. But I've worked with the designers right now, and let me tell you, the interface is horrible. They send us screenshots. Here, I did this in Adobe Illustrator. Make a WinForm like this. All right, we only have uh, so, uh, time for one more question. Miguel's got it right here. All right, I got another Silverlight question for you guys that I'm hoping the answer will make my friend Dino here a little, uh, a little more comfortable. <laughs> but can, can, can the world, no, I legitimately want to know the answer to this. Can the world, because uh, I'm not a Silverlight guy yet, can the world of Silverlight within a single page communicate with the world around it, the yes. standard yes. HTML, That's very different and, and back and yes. forth. Yes, there's a two-way model. The and silver, server yes. to client, code behind The Silverlight can access the HTML DOM. It can okay. find individual text elements. It can find all the elements of the HTML. And using JavaScript, it can also reach into the Silverlight DOM and access properties in there. And when the Silverlight application, if it needs to access a web service, et cetera, it makes it through the context of the HTML page. So any cookies you have, et cetera, will be passed across as well. What about the server code? The server code. The, the code behind of the web page. The code behind is running it's on the client side. You know, it's, it's, it's no, I think what he's missing, the code behind, there's two sections. There is the web services these guys are talking about. But you're talking about the code behind that executes inside the Silverlights, right? No, I'm talking about the standard yeah, web page code oh, okay. behind of an ASPX page. Yeah, Does oh, that have access to anything in the Silverlight? Model. I mean, you execute in the client, and then code on the server executes. You communicate via web services or other methods like that. But I, mean, I know time is short. I, I've got a Silverlight 1.1 on the alpha shortcut coming out in O'Reilly. Check that on their website, and you can read up a lot of these details on how you can communicate back and forth. Make sure to answer a lot of your questions. Okay, thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank you very much. Another round of applause for our guests, for our esteemed panel, Richard Campbell and myself. Thanks.
We'll see you next time on Dotnet Rock. Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van 